Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez, here with Erin Keller. We're back in the podcast room with Cynthia Scholl. She is the Associate Director of Nevada Bugs and Butterflies, along with the Education Coordinator at UNR's Museum of Natural History. Welcome back, Cynthia. It took two takes to get that because you have so much <laughs> that you do. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me again. Of course. It's great to have you. And as we were saying before we started, you're the perfect role model for women, for young girls. And we thought you'd be a great guest for Women's History Month. Awesome. So, and I think we had you, I can't even remember how long ago it was at this last point. Summer. Yeah, so, last yeah. summer. So you're a familiar voice because you were on for the Nature Blitz with Julie Watson, but now the spotlight is all on you. <laughs> 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 so let's just start with, as I said, you have two titles. Which one do you want to start with? Do you mm, want to? Let's start with the Natural History Museum. Okay, so tell yeah. us what you do there. So I um, have been there about six or seven years uh, since we started welcoming more members of the public to our museum. And I lead tours when people come visit the museum. And I absolutely love my job because uh, sometimes I have two-year-olds in the museum and sometimes I have undergraduate students and graduate students. So I really enjoy working with all ages. And at the Natural History Museum, we have collections from our university plant collections, mammal collections, uh, bird collections, insects, of course, and fish and reptiles and amphibians. So I also Very like cool. that there's a huge diversity of species that I get to work with and talk about there. That is so cool. And does it, it, it has to be fun to be, you said you, it's kids of all ages that all you bring ages. through. And yeah. So w sometimes I welcome just families. I actually had a couple um, who were just passing through town today from Portland, Oregon, and they wanted to stop in. So that was pretty fun. Um, I introduced them to some of our really friendly snakes, live snakes that we have in the museum. A uh, rubber boa named Ooh. Goldie and <laughs> two garter snakes. Um, and so we enjoyed looking at those along with all of our collections. Um, <coughs> and the front of our museum is actually open to the public um, from nine to four most days that UNR is in session. So it's not open um, during the summer months or breaks for UNR, but other times if you just want to stop in, it's open. Otherwise, you can go on the website um, for the UNR Museum of Natural History and you can book a tour and usually it will be me who will be there Very to greet cool. you and yeah. lead you around the museum. And if teachers want to come, um, we love to have classes come in and we do science-based education that follow um, state standards for, for science education. Okay, so as education coordinator, what, I mean, it sounds like you're touring people around. What all does that entail? Are you kind of the person there? I'm 
usually <laughs> the person, <laughs> yes. Um, one thing that I absolutely love about being at the university is I have a lot of help from graduate students. So that's awesome because a lot of those graduate students can share what they're studying when they are there with students. And a lot of the labs that I build, I try to build around research done at UNR. Um, for example, I have a lab that we do about garter snakes that eat poisonous newts, and that's based on research done in Chris Feldman's lab at the university. Um, I do work on how plants are adapting to climate change based on our um, museum director, Dr. Beth Ledger's work. So that, that's some things I do for older students, younger students. Sometimes we just look at the function of feathers and we use feathers from different species of birds. Um, we look at how to identify different species of snakes. Those are just some examples of, of the activities that I lead. Um, we also love it when people come as groups. So sometimes we have groups come from Big Brothers Big Sisters or Girl Scout groups. Those are, those are really fun too. Very mm. fun. You're making me want to come by. Come, <laughs> please I know, come. I need to. I really do. <laughs> yeah. So what is your background then? I mean, you're a uh, Museum of Natural History. You're also the Associate Director of Bugs and Butterflies, as we said. So what um, what is your background before that? Well, uh, we could start at the very, <laughs> the very beginning, which would be that I was um, lucky enough to have two parents who really, really loved Nevada and loved to be outside. And so um, I think one of the trips that my dad talks about the most was taking me backpacking up uh, Table Mountain when I was wow. <laughs> just two. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, who was that harder for, him or you? I, well, I think <laughs> it was hardest for my mom because oh. she decided to bring um, – she didn't use disposable diapers. She oh. actually washed diapers for me while mm. backpacking, which that is something my mom would do. And I think is a totally questionable <laughs> decision. Maybe, but I bet it's good for the environment, but oh, not so much so you. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a mom, though, I'm not going to recommend it. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. So, I mean, partly I just feel so lucky to have been given that by my parents all the time outside. Um, they both know, uh, like, can list the mountain ranges of Nevada. Um, my mom made maps, and so she was a cartographer. Um, and my dad has been really involved with um, conservation in Nevada my whole life. So when I... Um, went to school I I guess at the when I was thinking about going to college I thought I probably wanted to go into chemistry or biology my dad is actually a chemist um, and I decided to go into biology and pretty soon I decided I wanted to study insects um, but there actually aren't insect entomologists or maybe a better term for me was I knew I was interested in insect ecology how insects interact with their environment and other insects, other plants and animals around them. So I went to school for a little bit in Portland, Oregon, and then I um, wanted to come back to Nevada. I missed it and <laughs> I actually uh, caught the Millennium Scholarship. Um, and so it was, it was a big draw to come back to, to UNR because I knew there were good insect scientists there and um, I just missed, missed Nevada. So I came back and I um, was really lucky that I took a class with Dr. Matt Forrester. Um, and then 
I enjoyed him so much and I knew how much he loved insects and what an amazing scientist he was. So I joined his lab and I got to be his first graduate student, oh. <laughs> which I oh <laughs> is, cool. um, <coughs> maybe doesn't reflect very much on me, but I do have that as a badge of pride <laughs> for myself because yeah. um, Matt has continued to sort of rise and he is now one of the like premier butterfly researchers on the west coast very so cool. we are yeah. lucky to have him in nevada we're lucky to have him at unr so you're still working on that right now or you oh, well i mean i finished my master's in 2012 oh okay so that's a while ago. a long time <laughs> i thought ago. you were like going yeah. back all over but again. um i still work really closely with mm. matt and i still um consider himself a great mentor in my life Wow, so that's really cool. Yeah. So um, I, I knew I wanted to work on insects. I actually thought about, for a little bit, for a small period of time, I thought about um, going to work with a pretty big name in insect conservation in South Africa. Wow. <laughs> Dr. Samways is his name. Um, and, and some life things happened, and it didn't work out. And in the end, that's just fine, because mm. I, I truly, truly love Nevada. I think... A lot of our wild places are um, untouched in some ways. You can certainly find solitude in Nevada. You can always find surprises. There aren't very many people working on insect conservation in Nevada. So for me, um, it gives me a lot of meaning to do it for a place that I love and where there aren't as many other voices here. So that's, that's really fun. Um, so I got my master's with Matt, and then when I graduated, I just couldn't leave Nevada <laughs> and I wanted to do insect conservation so um, I made my husband and some of my friends found a nonprofit, <laughs> and that is how we found in Nevada bugs and butterflies was to sort of be a voice for insects in Nevada for their importance for learning more about their biodiversity all of that and then it was after we did that um, that I got offered the job at the Natural History Museum and okay. so it's it's very nice that now I can sort of do education about wild things in Nevada in, in multiple ways. And so I do that through both organizations. Yeah, that's very interesting how just your whole background and then um, also what you say about there's just not a lot of people working towards yeah. conservation of bugs. Like even here at Endo, I'm like, which agency does do that? Yeah, <laughs> so I mean, it, 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 the... the Department of Ag can do it a little more than Indow can, mm -hmm. um, but I hope that that can change someday <laughs> <laughs> because I think insects feed a lot of things and are important in the ecosystem, you know, so important for the Department of Wildlife. And I, um, I think from my partnerships with Indow, you have a lot of great biologists, a lot of great knowledge mm -hmm. in the state, and I I hope that someday we can expand more into that would be that would be awesome work. yeah yeah <laughs> and then um, tell us a little more about bugs and butterflies then so Nevada bugs and butterflies is a science nonprofit um, we have done a lot of um, outreach in the past the thing we're proudest of is that we had a butterfly house with native Nevada butterflies for five years in Lemon Valley. Um, we have had some trouble restarting that, uh, partly that uh, Kevin and I became parents. <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs> and that's 
that's one thing. The pandemic also happened. (laughs) Um, A lot. (laughs) A lot, yeah. So we hope to get back to that, but we still really pride ourselves on being a source of information for the community about protecting insects, about protecting pollinators and butterflies. And uh, the thing that has kept us going the past few years is that we have a... um, a partnership with the state agency Nevada Division of Natural Heritage to look for rare butterflies across Nevada. So we have switched a little bit from doing outreach to spending a little bit more of our time doing monitoring of of rare butterflies. And some of these butterflies, the last published record or the last record from a museum of when these butterflies have been seen is the 1980s. So, again, it, it gives us a lot of pride, and we really enjoy our work, um, yeah, being able to go back and look for these butterflies. That so. sounds so interesting to <laughs> me. <Yeah. laughs> like yeah. I said, I'm like, who does? I mean, I, I know Department of Ag does work towards insect conservation, but I always think of them as other. They do so much that I think of them as other things. So I've always been like, where do bugs fall? Yeah. Um, they fall so through a crack most they of do. the time they is do. what happens. Yes. <laughs> yeah. How so. does it make you feel to be a part of that work? Oh, then? amazing. I mean, as you've said, yeah. it has to yeah. be really good. I enjoy it so much. So uh, just a few stories about that. Um, the first two years of our contract, we were looking for rare butterflies in the White Mountains. So there's just a tiny tip of the north uh, eastern White Mountains that are in Nevada. Most of them are in California. So to orient you, um, those are the huge mountain range east of Bishop, California. The ones that almost always have snow on them. Always have snow. That's yeah. the White Mountains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's one butterfly that the only records in Nevada are from the top of Boundary Peak, so over 13,000 feet. Wow. And it hadn't been seen in 20 years or so, and we went back and we saw it again um, at the at the, the th- pretty much just a few feet below the summit of Boundary Peak. Wow. And so the some butterflies do what we call hilltopping, where males and females will look for e- each other by going to the tallest point around. And so for those, Boundary Peak is definitely <laughs> the tallest peak around. So they, they're eating grasses, and um, that particular butterfly is a skipper. It eats grasses as a caterpillar. And so it's maybe eating plants somewhere around on the mountain slope. But then to mate and find each other, they fly up and sort of gather at the high point. Um, that is so, so interesting. that's where I you like go to look questions. for them. <laughs> well, let's <laughs> get to <laughs> questions. No, we're going to take a break because I know I feel like we have a lot to talk about still. <laughs> yeah. So we'll take a break right there. You are listening to Nevada Wild. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today, we're joined by Cynthia Scholl. She is the Associate Director of Nevada Bugs and Butterflies, along with the Education Coordinator at UNR's Museum of Natural History. I got it. I was the whole time, I was like, (laughs) well, I get it. Um, As we've been talking about, you just do so much, and you were telling us about recent work. Um, And Aaron, you had a whole bunch of Yeah, I was just thinking the top of Boundary Peak, that's pretty 
awesome. Yeah. It's a great. Really I quick, can you recap what, for people who are just now yeah, listening? Yeah, so we were looking um, for a butterfly that is rare in Nevada because the only place that it has been found is on the top of Boundary Peak at the summit or just a few few feet below the summit. Wow. Hit and me with some questions. Yeah, Aaron well, was like, yeah, before the break, he had a ton <laughs> of questions. Yeah. I do, as you were saying it, because it's 13,000 feet. Mm-hmm. Like, how long do you have to be up there to or how long were you up there so um like did you just walk up there full, and find it or the full story here is that i was not at the top of boundary peak i was uh, at home with our son a year and a half at yeah. the time yeah my husband was there um and i know i think it was within 15 or 20 minutes of him getting to the really? top that he looked down and saw them so um, there's a huge name in butterfly science and conservation in in, in um, Nevada. That's George Austin. He has passed away now, but he most of our records of butterflies, rare butterflies in Nevada, are from him. And so um, he had these records of this butterfly there. There's also records of the butterfly at the top of like White Mountain Peak um, in California. Mm-hmm. So other other peaks in um, the White Mountains in California is found in. So we knew from some of George Austin's work when to be there, which is in late July. And so we went in late July. You know, you might only have five weeks, uh, six weeks a month when the adults are flying. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's the warmest time of year when you're going to want to go there and and that's can be a little different even for different montane butterflies but you know usually it's pretty much high summer that you're going to go look for them and so then um i believe kevin saw something on the order of magnitude of 10 individuals mm-hmm. when he when what, he went there. what butterfly was it it is um a skipper butterfly okay yeah so mm. it's a um if you don't know the family skippers they are generally sort of fatter butterflies their bodies usually a little fatter they're hairier um sometimes people might even mistake them for moths they're also pretty small like the size of a quarter Mm. Mm. and usually um brownish Mm. yeah oh yeah um what other adventures have you and kevin gone on what other adventures is there other Um, things that you can look back on that you're like oh that was a good time well, uh, last year we were looking for a butterfly. Um, let's see. I think it's uh, interesting when um, when people get to something that they really love. Like we've had birders on before, and we've had fishermen on before, and we've had hunters on before, but. This is like something different, so that's why I'm like asking. Like, <laughs> I know, I like know. I feel like all I keep saying is cool. Going to the top of Boundary really Peak to look for a butterfly is a certain challenge for somebody that I think it, if somebody's listening there, like that is pretty an epic hike to go look for something. Yes, so. and you don't have to go that far. I mean, usually mountain meadows are pretty awesome places to be. So if you've been um, to the White Mountains, the the trailhead is called Trail Canyon. Mm-hmm. Um, is is where you go to climb Boundary Peak. So I went there a lot, and just that um, meadow at where you actually park your car 
um, we found three or four species of rare butterflies in that meadow. Mm. And there was uh, one time I took a break, I just sat down and I had, I don't know, 10 or 20 butterflies land on me. Oh my God. It's just a really incredible, beautiful place to be. And so there were some other blue butterflies there that we were looking for and one called the ruddy copper. Um, those butterflies, the blues and the copper, are all in the same family of butterflies, which are called gossamer wing butterflies or lace wing butterflies. They're pretty delicate, pretty small, also sort of the size of a quarter. Um, they, and they, I probably see them at the highest densities in semi-montane areas. Hmm. So um, th that was another another special place to go. And and lately. Uh, last summer and this summer, we've been looking for some lower elevation butterflies around Fort Churchill. Um, there's one that we need to find um, by Mina, <laughs> Nevada. Yeah. We didn't we didn't get ourselves there last summer, so I'm pretty pretty excited to go there this year. And I think that's um, sort of a big question in butterfly conservation in the West or is how do we sometimes conserve these lower elevation butterflies? We maybe know less about them. Um, I think they might um, be a little bit more affected by changes in precipitation where you can you can have really, really dry years, obviously, oh, yes. at the low elevation sites. And I don't think we fully know that. Um, some of the butterflies, too, rely on annual plants that don't come out every year they have whole years that they take right. off and they don't grow this is something that um my husband and i wondered about and thought about a long time and we finally found enough references in the literature to understand that the butterfly life cycle probably just follows that of the plant where the butterflies will stay as an egg for maybe two or three years hmm. and won't hatch until there's a wetter year and they know that they'll have enough um, plants growing to feed the caterpillars. Okay, so did that, I guess, did that make, did, was that, a, did that create an issue for those butterflies that those plants didn't grow or did they just stay unhatched? <laughs> I would say the, the broadest answer to that is that we don't fully know. Yeah. These things are really truly understudied. Right. But as best we can understand that that is we don't know maybe how many years that you can have these butterflies stay as an egg or maybe sometimes it might actually happen in other stages too like at the caterpillar or the pupa hmm. different butterflies overwinter in different stages um, so but for those probably the egg is the the life stage that can handle really desiccation and other things the best um and so we're hoping to answer that <laughs> in the next yeah. few years um but it definitely my friends who study native plants don't you know sort of blink an eye at the fact that annual plants will take several years off and then grow in a in a really wet year and so it seems like some of these lower elevation rare butterflies are are pretty attuned to that and yeah, are maybe doing the same sure. thing yeah, yeah. And how are you choosing, you explained you're like, me and you explained that you and your husband wanted to make it somewhere to find this butterfly, um, or you want to make it a certain place this, this year. How do you choose which butterflies? So this for? is really guided by um, the 
um, state agency, the Nevada Division of Natural Heritage, who is the agency that looks out for rare and imperiled plants and animals in our state, which Nevada actually has a pretty high rates of endemism, things that only live in Nevada. And so they have a very important job. And so they have a watch list and a track list of rare okay. of rare things. And this is actually something that Indow does mm. an incredible partnership. I know you've had a bat working group and close yes. relationships like that with um, the Department of Natural Heritage. And so th we are really trying our best to help them. And so when they have these huge holes in, in their sort of data set, these butterflies that they're trying to look after and they don't know about them, th we're, they're partly helping us generate a list of, of what they need to know more about. I feel like she might have just given us another podcast guest. Yes, please. I know, I know. that is really yeah. interesting how that, that whole works. And every, everybody listening to the podcast loves Nevada and loves Nevada's wildlife and the, the places, so... Yeah. Anytime we can spotlight that ties right people in. that are doing great work inside the state, but is is always a good guess. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. We'll have to have you offline give us a name <laughs> and we can, <laughs> sure yeah. we can yeah. put the heat on them. Yeah. So. Um, I guess the last few points I wanted to make is, I mean, we have you on here for Women's Month. So with in your time in this field, I guess bugs basically <laughs> have you um seen a lot of women interested in that too yes and i think for m me um there's lots of little girls who i so enjoy working with and i hope that some of them will grow up to be scientists i hope that they enjoy the outdoors um and then probably one of the biggest profound changes is just the number of female graduate students so many female that's or so many hear. graduate students now are females in the um you know conservation field um entomology related fields uh i think there's still sort of a dropout where women don't always go on to be professors at the same rate as men but i i do feel like even in the last year 10 years there have been really profound changes that have been amazing to watch and hopefully that continues yes. and you're helping that I <laughs> hope so I hope I hope to inspire many of the the kids that I get to interact with yes how does it feel to be a role model for them oh great they have to go into that museum and be like this girl's awesome yeah <laughs> great so I try to tell a lot of the um students that come visit me to remember that they're scientists who study all living things so if you really love you know otters there's people who just study otters if you really love golden eagles there's people who just study golden eagles uh i w i'm waiting to have some really good beetle experts and <laughs> bee experts say. grow yeah. up in nevada um, there's probably things that still need experts that's to right. be studying them absolutely <laughs> so that's yeah. a really good message if you're interested in something yeah and i tell a lot mm -hmm. of them i hope to still be there in in 10 or 15 years so maybe when they come to college they can can come back and see me and come visit me there definitely yep. Well, it's been awesome to have you on. It was really fun hearing about your whole background and just that field that we don't cover enough. We'll have to, like we said, we're going to get more podcasts out of this. So thank you so much, Cynthia. That was fun. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. And thank you everyone for listening. That does it for this week's Nevada Wild.
Join us again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.